That was very sudden and abrupt. And that was nothing new from Proverb. Uh, and you are listening to Between Two Femmes. And I'm Aspasia Karras. And sadly, I'm missing my femme because Mabali Malloy has been, uh, in, is still very much in Cape Town where they've been doing live broadcasts across the nation. It's all been terribly exciting. Um, and so here I am, a lonely femme. But I'm going to water this plant <laughs> with um, my lovely guest today. Hi, I'm Fawn. <laughs> she is Fawn, Fawn Rogers. And Fawn Rogers has actually, this is the second time that she's in our studio. And the reason the first time she came was because she won me as a prize. I don't know if anyone recalls that. <laughs> I recall it. It was a really, it was a good day. She had, but, but what Four neglected to tell me that day was her personal story because we were rushing from pillar to post, um, from a shoot to a launch to here to the next place. Then I sort of fobbed her off on the fashion assistants and the interns. And I said, here girls, you take over. Um, and they said to me, do you know Fawn's story? And I said, no, no, I don't know Fawn's story other than, that I, I was her prize. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Fawn's story is a very moving one, which um, compelled me to bring her in today because our second guest who we're going to call in, it's really very much a before and after story. Now, Fawn has had a double lung transplant and that's what we're going to talk about. And our second guest, the lovely Jenna, is waiting for one and she has started Jenna Lowe started a campaign called Get Me to 21. We're going to call in because she's 19 and she really needs to get to her 21st birthday, uh, to which we're all invited. So, um, but more of that later. But for now, we're going to focus on fawn. We're turning the table, fawn. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> now, please tell me, why did you need a double lung transplant? How does that work? Uh, well, I was born with a genetic, genetic disease called cystic fibrosis. Um, what is it exactly? It affects um, a lot of organs, but mainly the lungs. Um, so you basically, um, without going into the gruesome medical details, your lungs just deteriorate and you're constantly infected. So I spent most of my time in hospital um, getting treatments. And there's just only so much treatments can do to keep your lungs going until eventually they just, um, I had less than 20% lung function left. And you just can't function on yeah. that. So, yeah. so you were essentially wheezing your way through life. Yeah, um, yeah. What happens? What happens when you have 20% lung function? Well, it starts... Can you um, go to school? No, uh, no, definitely Did not you ever go to school? Yes. So I went to high school. I finished high school. I struggled through that, but my lung functions then were uh, a lot better. And because it's so gradual, you, you kind of don't notice the deterioration as much. So, mm. you know, you go from 40 to 30, and so you, you don't really notice. But when you're at 20%, you, you're you, like a heavy smoker. <laughs> yeah, Without exactly. any of the joy. E ex yeah, exactly. Or the core <laughs> factor, nothing. Like no yeah, behind the, the sexy shed. Laugh. I mean, the sexy cough to go with <laughs> it, which, um, yeah. But, um, yeah, at less than 20% lung function, I was on permanent oxygen. I, I literally couldn't take my oxygen off to wash my face. It just, you literally can't breathe. Um, they kind of compare it to if you, you get a very thin straw and you try and breathe through that. So it's very claustrophobic. Mm. And, you know, it, it takes a lot of energy, sort of every breath you've got to So you finished your and, high school and suddenly your lungs... 
Yeah, I was. I, I wanted. To, I wanted to go to Varsity, but I just it just wasn't an option. So um, I got a part time job. I worked sort of mornings only in a flower shop. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that, I really struggled. By sort of lunchtime, I went home and I just would collapse, go back on oxygen. So I did that for a few months until I realised it actually that even wasn't feasible. Mm. So um, then I got a very bad infection, which put me in hospital for a very long time. Um, and my mom actually had to move in with me then from then to look after me because I at that at that stage I. I couldn't sort of even brush my own hair, let alone do anything else. So my mom moved in and... Because it actually just saps your energy. It, it's Yeah. I mean, I spent um, all my time sleeping, recovering. And then when I wasn't sleeping, I was doing treatments, which were mm. which like physiotherapy and taking my medication, which again, are very Did they tiring. do that terrible banging on your chest? Yes. My mom, my mom was my physio. Um, so I spent many days shouting at her. <laughs> That's one of my <laughs> earliest and most dreadful memories. Really? Yeah. I got pneumonia when I was two. And I suppose that's why I remember it. But I remember mm. being in hospital and having the physio being beaten, beat my chest. <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, that was yeah, one of the, the things we did, and it was one of those things where it was unpleasant, but it helped. So it was kind of one of those bittersweet times. My mum would do my physio, and it would be painful, and I'd hate it, and I'd shout at her and ask her not to, and try to get out of it. But afterwards, you feel better. So mm. yeah, so you just have to do all these things just to get you through, and just to, to help you breathe. Um, yeah. And essentially, the only solution is a transplant. A transplant. Yeah, I mean, how like, long did you wait for one? When I was listed, I was very urgent. Um, so they kind of, when they listed me, they kind of put me right at the top of the list, and I was a priority. Um, they listed me so late because I was very underweight, um, and you've got to be a certain, you've got to meet a certain criteria to be listed. Because if you're too ill, they're not going to give you a transplant because mm. you're not going to survive. And then you know, you've, you've in. in essence wasted a, a pair of an, an organ that could have gone to someone so they've got to be quite strict and I was too underweight I was too sick to actually be listed um, and I pushed and I pushed and eventually put on weight um, and I was listed so when I was listed I was very urgent um, and I think that helped uh, that helped so I got my lungs within about eight months do you know who gave them to you no it's completely anonymous um i did sort of because i have such a good relationship with the whole team i I sort of thought maybe they'll give me some sort of scoop on who it is Um, not that it matters but you know you're curious i mean i've got someone else's lungs in me i mean we we (laughs) ran a naked campaign supporting um the the organ donation um cause cause and our photographer marguerite Mm has had a heart transplant when she was 21. Okay. And she said she had found out that, in fact, the, the heart came from a girl who was a model. Oh, wow. And so she <laughs> felt it made complete sense that yes. she'd become a fashion photographer. Com- completes the circle. Yeah, she, she'd, you know, clearly beating inside of her was that fashion yeah. heart. Quite strange because the, the last... Um, magazine I actually read before my transplant was that issue of Marie Claire. Really? There's a photo of me holding it and it like, yeah, it was such a, a great issue because I, I was so excited. I was like, this is going to get us so much publicity and people are going to sign up. And I think sort of the next few days I actually had my transplant. So that was quite, oh, wow. that was quite incredible. Yeah. yeah. And what is that? How does the transplant work? So you go in. Yeah. So um, you can get called at any time. Um, yeah. Luckily I was, well, luckily, <laughs> but I was actually in hospital. Um, like I said, I spent most of my time there. So, um, which was actually a blessing because if you're at home and they give you a call, it, it, they could call you in the middle of the night and you've quickly got to scramble and pack yeah. your bags. And so at least you're in hospital, it's a little bit more, um, you know, the, the process goes a bit more smoother, smoother. The, 
they do they've all they've done the tests already everyone's there so um so yeah what happened was i was in hospital and my doctor had already seen me and then he came back in um at about at midnight and he was like i and i was a little bit confused as you are at midnight i was sort of half asleep and mm. I, I he said to me um do you know like why I'm here? And I said, no, I thought I'd really seen you today. And he said, no, you have. I'm actually here to tell you we found lungs. Oh, wow. And it's such an incredible feeling, but it's also, I don't know, it's hard to explain because you're excited. This is what you've been waiting for um, my whole life. So you're excited, but you're also terrified because it's this huge operation. Which, which How many hours does it take? Mine took about eight hours. Wow. So it's, and I mean, I know, I mean, I've got, a, I've had a lot of friends who have had it. I've had a lot of friends who didn't make it. So you know all of this, you know what you're in for. So it's kind of a, it's a very strange feeling of sort of, I think the biggest feeling would be relief because whatever happens, this is what you've been waiting for. So, you know, whatever the outcome is, it's just that relief that it's finally happening, yeah. <laughs> you know? So yeah, so they, my mom, um, arrived my brother came my aunt and a few other friends and we just sat and we spoke obviously i couldn't sleep from that yes. from midnight <laughs> and we spoke and we sort of chatted and then about 6 a.m um they wheeled me into theater so and the next thing you knew yeah the next thing i suppose you were in icu yeah i think a lot of people think you know you wake up and you take a deep <laughs> breath in and it's this romantic sort but of actually you're probably no, incubated yes you incubated you you are so full of different painkillers and drugs you, you can barely remember anything so it's not you know you don't you're in pain you don't wake up and it's you know it's it's hard it's it's worse at first than you're you're in a, it's it's a lot of pain it's a lot of fear um you know you're in a strange icu is an awful place to be so yeah it, it took a while and then when you kind of and i think it also takes a while to sort of had they tied your hands down um, but you don't <laughs> feel compelled to pull no, out the... but they should have because i actually ended up getting psychosis and i did pull some of my tubes out oh, really and um I'm, is there such a thing as ICU psychosis? I, apparently so. <laughs> yes, yeah, I proved, um, they thought it was a medication, but the second time I went to ICU, they realized I actually, it's, it's just, you're in a dark nuts. room. It's, there's, it's, the, there's always, oh, sorry, not dark, it's light all the time. So you don't know what time it is. There's strange noises. So it really messes, and you're on all the drugs. So it yeah. really messes with you and you see some awful things. And so yeah, I, pretty much went crazy <laughs> which we laugh at now but at the time it was it was pretty serious i mean i did unfortunately i'm i'm pretty smart so i waited for the nurse to leave i knew which tubes i could pull out really and, yeah so i had planned this whole escape <laughs> you escape were escaping plan. the icu <laughs> yeah uh, and luckily, out of here yeah and luckily the nurse came back in in time and sort of yeah i called my psychologist in and they sort of sorted me out and i was fine but um yeah wow. some pretty interesting Times. Times. <laughs> yes. So now tell me, uh, and I suppose this is a question you must get asked all the time. How does it feel to have this new lease on life? Yeah, I think one of, yeah, one of the most common questions I get um, is, yeah, first of all, is, there, like, is it a big difference? And the obvious answer is yes. I mean, I, base, I didn't have a life. I, like I said, I was, I was pretty much bedridden for at least a year. And before that, just very, very ill. And now, I mean, it's... Now, just let me describe you to our <laughs> listeners. The lovely fawn is super stylish, uh, looking full of beans, I have to say, full of health and vigor. And it is a delight to see. You look like any other happy girl uh, embarking on your life. I was looking at your Twitter profile, which, by the way, is fawn underscore Rogers. 
Oh, and I'm actually, whilst we're on that subject, let's also say that, you know, tweet us at cliffcentral.com, uh, cliffcentral.com, no dot, um, or call us if you want to chat with us, 0861-555-189. And of course, Facebook and Instagram, all Cliff Central. But, um, that was a, <laughs> but the thing is, if you look at the, the lovely Fawn Rogers Twitter profile, then, um, you're just full of beans. You're mm. a blogger. You're a foodie. Mm. You're yeah, living life. life. Yeah. I, I, it's, I mean, you wait so long. I think that's also, um, you know, yeah, life now, it's completely different. And I think last year I struggled with that. I mean, it's this amazing change and you've been waiting for, for it your whole life. And then you finally get it and it's like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> swim. <laughs> and you don't have, you know, it's, it's like being released out of jail after 20 years and you, you know, can you, it be a bit of a, also just discombobulated? Yes. No, definitely. And it, so it took me a while. Perhaps and it's too big. It's too big. And I mean, going from your little room and everyone's sort of pampering, not pampering, but looking after you and, you know, every, like I said, every breath you, you know, your biggest worry, well, not the biggest worry of the day, but, you know, you're focusing on small things like, mm. do I have enough strength to get up and brush my teeth and that kind of thing. Now you, you, you're talking about like, yeah, what am I going to do? What career am I going to get into? And what am I going to do this weekend? Like, who am I going to, it's, it's these decisions and it just opens up so much, which is great, but it, it really does take a time it to can adjust. Be, it can be scary. It, yeah. I mean, it's scary yeah. for everyone. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But somehow you, I think if you, yeah, you <laughs> well, do. Yeah. Well, we try. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's also, I mean, that's, you know, when I do, I mean, you know, with normal life it comes normal problems. So you do, you have, you, I have my days when, you know, life isn't so great, but the. So you're not Saint Fawn, Roger? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I try, I try, but unfortunately not. But, um, you do, because, you wake yeah, up. You imagine that, um, yeah, and, and do people look to you for like sort of the answers, life and death answers? They do. And Are you like is... the magic eight ball for <laughs> I think Can I will... ask you a few all important <laughs> questions? No. Let's... What is the meaning of life? I will get Fawn. back to you on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, people do, you sort of become, you do get put on a bit of a pedestal, which um, is great. But again, it can be quite um, sort of intimidating because you do, I make mistakes and life isn't always great. And you kind of just have to, yeah, it's sort of balancing your personal life with the fact that people are sort of looking to you for um, answers. For answers. And I know, like, especially with my blog, I blog, a, I blog a lot about my transplant and the process. And, and I had a really rough time during transplant. Mm. There was some really dark days and there was some really close calls. And yeah. I kind of, I want to tell my story, but at the same time, I'm very aware that there are people like Jenna who are waiting for their transplant. And I yes. don't really, you know, you've got to be careful because you don't want to, you want to motivate people, encourage and inspire, and you don't want to scare people. So it's quite a difficult thing to balance sort of your, your life versus sort of what you're trying to tell people about the transplant and yeah. being an organ donor. So it sounds to me like there's, um, a book in there. <laughs> uh, let, yeah, my blog, let's start with the blog and maybe How later. How often do you write on the blog? Is it a kind of release? Yeah, it started off, but I also didn't want it, you know, my transplant story. I didn't, I've got this new life and I didn't yeah, kind of want to harp prevail. on it. Yeah, I don't want to keep going back and, you know, so I but share it's my just stories. the story that people go, look they at do. you and go, oh, she's the lung <laughs> transplant yes, girl. Yes, yes. So you kind of <laughs> trying to make a new sort of also identify yourself as other things. So that's why I do. I try, you know, I do I go to a few events and I blog about food and, you know, just try to, they, you know, my lungs, it's a huge thing. But 
there is there is more <laughs> to yes. me. So I try and focus on a few things. And isn't so. that essentially mm. what the joy of it is? Yes. Is that mm. you've been given the opportunity to just actually be you. Exactly. And, and, and find out who that is without having, you know, before. Without having this thing hanging over yeah, exactly. you. Exactly. Sort of Damocles, as they say, yes. which it literally was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you. That's your, that was my whole life was just get through today till tomorrow and maybe you'll get lungs. And I literally did live day by day and transplant was the only thing that kept me going and it was my only goal. And now I can have other goals and hobbies and things, social life, like whatever, you know, have to learn what all those things are about now. And it's great. It's really great. Now tell me, Fawn, um, relationships. <laughs> yeah, this is also Are you quite, dating? This is also Are quite on, a common question. Are you on Tinder? No, I, I am in fact on Tinder, uh-huh. but I am not an active user of, on, of Tinder. I tested it out. It's an app. Um, yeah, I'm oh. very into the social media and yeah, yeah. apps, and so I tested it out, and um, not for me, <laughs> not for me. But I think um, it's for some very brave-hearted people. Yeah, but I've heard some very like some close friends, and I've had some success stories with it. So. Yeah, it's not for everyone, but um, certainly for some. Um, yeah, but that's also, that's not really one of my goals at the moment. <laughs> um, yeah, starting from the bottom. So that's a future endeavor. <laughs> so what is your plan? Do you have one? I'm sort Are you of. still discovering yourself? <laughs> I'm still discovering. I think at the moment I'm sort of, um, I'm trying to take more control financially. Like I've been, my parents have been supporting me for so long and, you know, they've been very um, accommodating and let, let me, letting me find my feet. But it comes to a point where it's like, Fawn, yes, have you found your feet I remember yet? <laughs> when I asked you, what, what is it that you do, Fawn? Yeah. And I think it was very admirable that actually you just didn't tell didn't, didn't, me the whole yes. story. And you were like, oh, you know, I'm in a, what did you call it? Between jobs. Or, no, no, you didn't uh, call it between jobs. You had like a sort of fresh new term for it uh, okay. like i don't know staycation or fun employed or fun employed she was fun employed <laughs> yes. yeah yeah so i think that's sort of my um focus at the moment and are yeah. you planning to study what did you want to study before all this um, became so extreme i when i was very little i wanted to be a vet uh but then i discovered that i was um well i am terrified of needles so, um, which is obviously not this a good must trait. I've been seriously compromising across all I, these things that you've experienced. I actually went for a blood test um, the other day, and um, it's 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 purely psychological. But I had my blood test; it wasn't sore, and I cried and I cried. And they said to me, "Is this your first time having a blood test?" Like, and they were all, there were about three nurses in the room holding my hands, and I said, "No, I actually had a double lung transplant last year," and they were so confused. And I just said, it's one of those things you never... Which is a trigger. It's a trigger. And you never, the more you have, it actually makes it worse. It's not like you become a professional blood giver and it's fine. It, it actually makes every bad experience you have, it, it just reinforces that trigger. So, so yeah. And you I, know what's interesting to me is perhaps, how do you go from a mindset, did you ever feel, I'm not a sick person, so why is this happening to me? Or, you know, how do you understand mm. sick and healthy? Because you are, yes, I know. Well, that's it. Like my, my good days, I was still sick and on antibiotics. So it's a very warped yes. sense of, I mean, even now I say, everyone, like, oh, I'm normal now. I've got my normal life. I still take a handful of drugs every day, twice a day. And I go for regular tests to, to keep it all. Yes. You've got to take sort of anti rejection pills and various other pills. So, you know, in theory, I'm not really normal, but it's as normal as I've ever been. So that's, um, 
But yeah, it's a very, especially when you're young. I think I had like a, my midlife crisis when I was about 12 and I just sort of, yeah, why me? And yeah. you know, all that. And then I just got over it and I was like, well, this is you and you can't change it. So make the most of it. And she's actually a very powerful thought mm, yeah. for everybody. Yeah. Any situation. I mean, if you can't change it, you, you just have to embrace it. And that's sort of what I tried to do. And, I never hid the fact that I was sick. I'm, I've, I'm still, I'm very open. I know a lot of people with cystic fibrosis or very like different diseases. They kind of shy away from telling mm. people because of the stigma. And I mean, I don't walk into a room and say, hi, I've got cystic fibrosis, <laughs> um, which I always think is very important. Like, I mean, especially yeah. with psychological conditions, I mm. think people should be just upfront about them and go, hi, yeah. I have terrible ADD. Yeah. And you, <laughs> yeah. yes. I have, you know, sex, um, yeah. Here's my, my addiction. Yeah. Which also you, put it up front. You don't want to, like I said, I mean, you don't want to, you know, you don't want that to define you. So, no. I don't, I'm not sort of, I don't walk in and say I've got cystic fibrosis or I've had a double lung transplant, but if it comes up, I'm not going to shy away from the fact. So mm. when I was younger, I, I, had, I think I had a good balance of, you know, I am sick and people would know, and that would be my reason for doing certain things. So if I couldn't go to something, mm. it was because I was sick and I wasn't afraid to say that. But at the same time, I was also, my friends were very, were very good and, you know, they treated me like that I wasn't sick. You know, I went to school and I just Took some pills at break time, you know, no big deal. And <laughs> what is the, what is the, the, what, if, if you look back and you think, okay, what was the biggest desire of your heart? What was the one thing that you wished, God damn, I wish I could do that and I wasn't lying here? I think it was probably going to varsity. You know, high school yeah. I struggled and I missed a lot of school, but then I, I'm, I'm from Zimbabwe. Mm. Um, and no one goes to high, uh, to varsity in Zimbabwe. So they, all my friends left and they mm. all went, to South Africa, Australia, overseas, and I was left in Zim pretty much by myself. And that's when I was like, well, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't great. And then my mom was like, oh, you can just like home, you know, st- study through UNISA. And I was like, I can, but also it's, you know, you miss that whole experience and, you know, mm-hmm. friends are at varsity and I'm kind of just, yeah. So, um, I think that was probably one of the things that, um, I wish I could have done. Yeah. yeah. And now? Um, now I don't know. I just, I need to redefine my goals and my dreams, I guess. Um, a lot of people say, you know, like, oh, what is the best thing you've done or want to do? And I think people think like, you know, go bungee jumping or travel or go somewhere. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Life is <would> terrible. <laughs> I mean, I want to give you a heart transplant yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, I've had enough adrenaline. Yeah. But it's, I, I don't know. I think I will get to a stage when I'm sort of, but at this stage, really, like the little things are still, it still brings me a lot of joy, just waking up and putting on makeup and driving myself. So I mean, it's that it's still an amazing thing for me. And when that wears off, then I'll, you know, maybe think of, you know, I'll get a cat or something exciting. <laughs> I don't know. Get a cat. <laughs> yeah, that is yeah. exciting because she may have like, a, you may discover you're terribly allergic yes, to them. Exactly. A whole new experience. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah. But um, have you ever seen uh, that Vim Vendors film? It's like a sort of classic film from the 90s. I don't think so. Vim Vendors, crazy, like sort of uh, Dutch director. And it was called Wings of Desire. And, and I'm going to be a bit maudlin, but the whole thing <laughs> of the thing was, um, there's an, you know, the, the whole concept is what happens when people are dying and they're these angels who sort of p- walk amongst us. Okay. Dressed in like sort of black trench coats naturally. Uh, I think because I, why wouldn't angels be dressed in? I think they've done like various interpretations of this thing on yes. TV. <laughs> but one of the most moving scenes in the film is a guy's dying unexpectedly. He's been like 
struck over by a bus, bus yeah. or, and he's lying there and he's going, oh my word, I can't die now. I'm like, mm. I haven't done anything. And mm. so the angel comes and like sort of naturally embraces him. And I'm hoping that it's the same angel that comes to me because he was very easy on the eye <laughs> <laughs> and okay. says, you know, Clutching him from behind yeah. Like I'll have one of those Thanks yeah. I actually do want to go to heaven now Yes please <laughs> In that trench coat yeah. Hot So the angel is like Clutching him and going Oh um, You are wrong You have done amazing things And I think What you're actually saying to us That it, And so he starts listing Like sort of Tomatoes Eating fresh tomatoes And okay. bread In mm. summer and these are the guy's thoughts and he starts saying them and it's like, you know, taking a swim in yeah. really cool water on a very hot day. Yeah. And suddenly it was all the, it was an epiphany. It mm. was an epiphany for me. I was like, oh my word, actually. Yeah. Because I think we have this idea that happiness and joy comes from grand. huge things, yeah. grand. And in fact, there's a lot of research that shows that once no. you're doing those grand big things, you just want more, and it's it's never and, and you're never yeah. satisfied. They're actually mm. slightly disappointing, disappointing, disappointing. Mm. So now we are going to have a little break before we go to our caller. I mean, do we have a caller? No, we're going to call. <laughs> That's what it says there. I was like getting excited. Oh my word! Somebody called us. No, we're going to go and call after this break. Hey brother, there's an endless road to rediscover Hey sister, know the water's sweet but blood is thicker Oh, if the sky comes falling down for you There's nothing in this world I wouldn't do There's nothing in this world 
and we're back. And on the line, we have the lovely Jenna Lowe. Are you there, Jenna? I am. Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. Awesome. <laughs> now, Jenna, you're in Cape Town at home. Yes, I'm all tucked up in bed looking at the mountain out my window. Fantastic. But tell us a bit of how you ended up tucked up in bed as opposed to running around. Well, I have Which is your natural want. I believe that you're a highly energetic, wonderful girl. I used to... I used to be quite um, energetic and quite active, both like academically and physically. But then when I was 16, I was... um, incredibly breathless and fatigued at Mm. random moments and for no apparent reason. So I was diagnosed at the age of 17 with a a degenerative life-threatening lung condition, and it's called PH. And that is actually why I'm in bed now. And um, how, how has it, I mean, describe your day for us. Okay, well, I spend most of the time um, sleeping. To be honest, I sleep until about two most days. And then my wonderful friends come visit, usually in the afternoon. And we hang out for a bit, and I sometimes bake them for foot massages. And (laughs) that's usually not very successful, but sometimes it works. And then I um, usually spend some time reading and writing, and then I go to sleep, so altogether very passive. <laughs> Which is exactly what we've been talking about here because we've got Fawn in the studio. Hi, Gina. Hi. Oh, my gosh. Hello. It's so cool to hear your voice. You too. We've been chatting on Twitter and email quite a bit, so it's nice to talk to each other verbally now. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, Fawn is such an inspiration to me. She's just oh, the most you. incredible woman. I am so glad that you're both here together because we've been talking about basically essentially what it's like to 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 have to think about every little thing that you do can you brush your hair do you have the energy do you have the lung capacity so mm-hmm. just describe to us you're also on quite a heavy cocktail of drugs you have to take a whole lot of drugs every morning don't you or during the day i think do you think we've lost? Hello. Hello. <laughs> Sorry, um, my I think my home phone died, so I'm on the other one, which is not out of battery. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> but do we have you now? Yes. I'm so, what awful timing! I'm so sorry about that. No, don't worry. <laughs> but here you are. We were yes. saying that you have to take also just a huge concoction of drugs, and then you have to think about every little step of the every little thing that you do. Uh, yeah, the the consequences for getting something wrong are incredible. There's so much risk involved in every activity. So taking two pills instead of one or forgetting mm. to take your drugs. or I mean, we mix um, this drug called Flonan every day, which is a 45-step sterile process. And um, also, if there's the tiniest hint of anything deviating from procedure that's also life-threatening, we have to start all over again. Oh, my word. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's something people don't realize, like, you know, you're not just sitting, when you've got a chronic uh, rare disease, you're not sitting at home sort of 
being given it's it's complicated you've got to like Jenna said, you're working out. I mean, I remember doing maths in the middle of the night because my pump had stopped and now I had to recalculate the time to get a certain amount of mills. And it's, it's, it's very stressful because if you get it wrong, it, it could, it, it's life threatening. So as yeah. well as the physical, you've also got the sort of mental, uh, well, not mental, but yeah, you've, you've got to think about all these things. That's very complicated. Now, the lovely Jenna, you have started a campaign. Online, yeah. and um, it's a beautiful site, and it's called Get Me to 21. Tell us yeah. a little bit about this project. Well, um, essentially, we you're 19, very... so we should tell people that you're 19. Mm. So, yes, I'm 19. Is... I actually turned 20 in just under a week. Oh, so wow. That's quite exciting. <laughs> but, uh, no, I wanted to raise awareness for organ donors um, and to try and get the numbers of organ donors up in South Africa, obviously for myself, but mainly just because it's it's something that is really important and it's something that not many people know about in this country. And I just thought the idea of a 21st is something that everyone can relate to because it's a rite of passage. And it also kind of, it, it's, it shows people that there's a, a mortality angle to this. Look, it's serious and it has to do with whether or not people live or die, but it's also not too morbid and scary and and difficult to digest. So that's, I think, where the idea for the campaign originally came from. And what basically happens is that if you sign up as an organ donor, any organ donor in South Africa is welcome to come to this party and mm-hmm. we'll just have a giant celebration of life, hopefully on my 21st. Um, and hopefully with the new set of lungs. <laughs> yes. Um, Which is why we're doing it now instead of in a year's time. (laughs) No, I agree. I agree. It's quite urgent that this actually happens. Because I think what people also don't realize is that they think that there's an endless supply of um, donors. And And in fact, the waiting list, I think, is something like 5,000 people long. Mm. It's scary how many people pass away from not getting the organs that they needed. And I think part of it is because people have a stigma attached to giving their organs um, to other people. And I just, this is why I think it's so important to have this conversation today to just realize that you can give young people life, essentially. Absolutely. Now, do you have a dream? What, what is the one thing that you want to be doing? As soon as, well, I mean, obviously we know, we hear that it's not going to be that simple. Yeah. It's not going to be as soon as you get the pair of lungs, you'll walk out of the, and, and has, has she warned you about ICU psychosis? Because it sounds desperate. But, but is there something that you're, um, just dying to do? Sorry, um, that sounded terrible. Are you dying to do this? <laughs> oh no, this can go from bad to worse. I would really like to finish my uh, degree. I want to do psychology and philosophy. And then I'd like to have some kind of career which involves writing and speaking to people. And to be honest, my secret ambition that I I never really (laughs) told people, but I'm recently just starting to, is that I've always actually wanted to publish a book. So it would be really cool to to write something and be an author. And are you actually um, blogging? Like... Not as much as I should be, but I do have a a blog where I kind of talk about my experiences and and a phone also has a blog. 
Um, and what is um, it um, called? It's it's on the website kenalo.org. Oh, okay. And I basically just share my experiences of pH and issues that I think come up. And recently, I've also just been I've been sharing a lot of those things with the Facebook group of Janus Twenty First. So the people that have signed up to be organ donors join the Facebook group, and then we all plan the party together. <laughs> and a lot of issues that come up are discussed on that forum. So that's really exciting. Fantastic. It's very, it is very exciting. Now, can you just describe to me, you are at the moment plugged into your oxygen tank. Yes. How big is that 24/7. oxygen tank? It's quite large. Um, gee, I, I suppose it's the height of your average desk and the width of your average chair. I so guess. you can't really carry it around with you? No, I have a cylinders for if I need to go places, okay. which I, I don't really do, but... For example, if the call came for a transplant I needed to go off to Joburg, I would need to go on an oxygen cylinder in the car because there's obviously no electricity for thunder, which is what I call my big <sighs> other one because it's annoying and loud. <laughs> is it loud? It is so loud, oh my word. But I've actually gotten to the point where I can't sleep without it because I got so used to so it. So it's like white it's noise. Soothing. Yes, exactly. I, re- I remember I used to because it is, it's very loud and I had a very, as, as I'm sure you do, Jen, a very long oxygen cord. I don't know how many meters long. So my well, oxygen, around. yeah, uh, my oxygen machine did not sleep in my room because okay. it does just. You didn't want that white no. noise. It was <laughs> no. like ocean yeah. breeze for you. It's like, you also uh, have the occasional issue with people stepping on your tube because yes, that is absolutely my, yeah. my worst nightmare. Also, it happens pe- all the time. Also, <laughs> they, they cut off the supply. Yeah. And how does yeah. that feel? It's not fun. It's and friends also used to do it as a joke to see when I would notice, and obviously you notice straight away. But they still seemed to think it was funny to test that. So there were some good times with the oxygen. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yes. Oh my word! So how do you keep a sense of humour throughout this? Um, I think well, it's mainly with my family and friends, um, but also just you have to. You just have to laugh. You have to see the funny side in things. You have to, I don't know, you have to have slightly morbid sense of humor sometimes. I mean, I, I really hate gruesome the jokes terrible and whatnot, punning. but actually when someone stamps on your oxygen tube or something, you can't just get irritated every yeah. single time something like that happens. I mean, sometimes it's just, sometimes it really is amusing. So. <laughs> I think that's one of the things I learned um, after transplant because you do, you, you get such a morbid um, sort of humor. And I spent a lot of time in hospital with other people waiting for transplants. So we had, obviously, we we in the same similar positions so we could have that humor. And after my transplant, it took me a while to realize that that humor isn't funny everywhere. You can't be at a party and make sort of blood or oxygen jokes. It's not funny. So, so yeah, that's a heads up, Jenna, when you, when you get your lungs. Thanks for that. Yeah, yes. no, I'll definitely keep that in mind. Don't make the gross no. blood joke. The, the punch doesn't look like that. It's not, yeah, it's not funny. Oh, dear. Um, for both of you, let me ask you this question. Is there, one person who you've really looked up to and who really helped throughout this thing that without that person or without those people or without you know somebody who was essentially your lifeline um okay well i yeah i had a lot of support from family and friends but my mom moved down uh, like i said earlier to look after me and during my transplant 
my, my actual transplant. I was in hospital for about three months. And um, she did not leave my side for the three months. She slept on, a cou- on like the, the chair next to me. And middle of the night, she'd be up helping me with issues. You know, just that moms, that things that moms yeah. only can. I mean, nurses don't understand, you know, that you are getting irritated with your fringe in your face. So <laughs> I, I, I always say without my mom being there, I def- definitely wouldn't have made it. Uh, it she really just, um, just did so much for me. Um, a lot of other, I mean, my dad, my brother, my, all, all my family members, but my mom was definitely the, the fr- at the front line of caring for me and getting me through everything. So, yeah. It's very yeah. moving. Mm. Yeah, I, I think I, I'm going to have to agree there because my mom does the same thing when I'm in hospital, but also she fights every day for um, my medications mm. from overseas and to manage all of that and to mix it. And again, also I have... My father and my sister, and they are incredible, but my mom has pretty much put her whole life on hold. And I think of her as my lioness. Because she <laughs> yes, that's what my dad called my mom fight. as well. <laughs> yeah, then there's so much red tape, and there's so much, um, there's so many logistical challenges, and she just won't let anything ever stand in the way of making me feel safe. And I know when she's there that I will be looked after and that I'll get the care that I need. It's, it's amazing. I think it's just a talent that moms have. Yeah, it's a mom's thing. unconditional love. <laughs> uh, well, it is It is exactly, I suppose, you, you gave birth to this person. You want to keep them alive <laughs> yeah. with every fiber of your soul. I think moms just have that perfect balance of, you know, they're soft and gentle enough that everyone, you know, they, you, you have a way with people, but they're also ferocious enough that you don't stand in their way. <laughs> Whereas dads, I think, can kind of be a bit one-sided at times. and They don't really get very far. <laughs> and how do you stay positive? Jenna. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> to be honest, again, it's, it's mainly my family, but also... I, I, people always look at me funny when I um, when I say this, but self-awareness for me is the single most important thing because I think that all kinds of emotional strength come from being aware of how you feel and perhaps why you feel that way. And just sitting down and just acknowledging, okay, today I feel angry, today I feel sad, today I feel like this, and that is okay. And then choosing not to let that dictate your behavior okay, yes, today I'm having a really rough day, but I'm not going to take it out on anyone. Or today I'm having a really sad day. But that's natural. What are we going to do about it? I think that's so important. Just to be um, aware that you don't have to push those emotions away. Just live with an open heart because if you shut out grief and sadness, you leave no room for joy or happiness to enter either. You know, if you build emotional Mm -hmm. walls around yourself, you can never experience the good in life. So for me, just being aware of what's happening and being okay with it and just extending compassion to yourself is the single most important thing to do to remain positive because you'll find that the joy and the laughter bubbles up naturally when you just let it through. Hmm. That's why I said that you girls <laughs> are really quite, uh, you do have the meaning of life. <laughs> are people... <laughs> a lot more time to think about it you know when you are when yeah, <laughs> lying in bed nothing else to do <laughs> don't ask us about sports or anything you know <laughs> and how do you yes that is my question how do you stay away from like just vegetating in front of the television and keeping yourself stimulated jenna or okay. jenna both of you both of you feel free to just chat 
Um, well, I, yeah, I, I was, um, like Jenna said, you sleep a lot. And even when you're not sleeping, I struggled with concentration. So that's mm. also, I mean, everyone always encouraged me, like, why don't you start a blog now? And I said, mm. to be honest, I, I can't, like, I don't even have that sort of concentration. So it takes so much energy. It, yeah, just to breathe. You don't, you know, and to get through a movie, that was, I mean, like, you know, series are a bit better. You've only got like half, like sort of sitcoms. You've got half an hour. You can manage that and then like, have a break. But so, um, but I, but now I have sort of a, I don't watch TV or anything anymore because it's, it sort of brings back that like, well, it was fine then, but you're fine now. There's no excuse for, for vegetating. So it's kind of a, yeah, you're allowed to do it then because that's all you can do. But, um, yeah, yeah my escape is always just books and, um, mm. sometimes series, but mainly books because it's, I can close it whenever I want, but also because it's other people's problems. And I always read these <laughs> not as books that aren't that enriching they're usually quite shallow I mean they're silly little coming of age books or little adventure stories or whatever where everyone's problems have solutions and no one ever has illnesses it's so nice it's an escape escape. Mm. and I'm so blatantly honest about it like I know that I'm actually not doing anything which is going to help my intelligence in the long run but it's actually it's okay yeah (laughs) I think that's uh, brilliant I often I mean this is going to be my argument as well for why I like Pulp Fiction. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> it's an escape. It is an it. escape. <laughs> but I think that Jane Austen, for example, is a complete escape. So, um, I love Jane Austen. Well, there you go. And you see, I think it's like sort of 18th century pop fiction. And she has such an ironic sense of humor. I just love it. It's I know, I was uh, reading something yesterday, which was, do you remember in um, Pride and Prejudice or Sense and Sensibility where Mr. No, it was Sense and Sensibility where um, the terrible priest, who is the cousin, tries to get married to um, the, oh, no, the heroine. Pride and Prejudice, it was a Mr. Collins. Mr. Collins, Mr. Collins. Oh, Mr. Collins was so in Pride and Prejudice. Funny. And he's so ridiculous, but they had, they had, like, they were quoting his approach and saying, actually, that is what happens with date rape. Men just, <laughs> produce, this was just wow. the equivalent of date rape back in, back then, <laughs> polite society. He's just not taking no for an answer. He's like, no, I know this is what good girls do. They just say no, but they really mean yes. And I was like, oh, Jane Austen, way ahead of the curve. <laughs> but now, I think it's very important that we actually just say to people, sign up. The hashtag is get me to 21, get me to 21.com. Sign up, fill in your name. You never know. And it really is. It's such a simple process. I think a lot of people also get scared, you know, do we have to have tests or it's literally just signing up and you're done. You're, you're an organ donor. And if and when, you pass, well, not if, because you will eventually, but when you pass, <laughs> a certainty. Yes, but when you pass, you can do some good. You can do exactly. some good. Mm. I think people avoid thinking about it because no one wants to consider the fact that we are all mortal. No mm. one wants to ever think about the fact that someday they're not going to be here anymore. But that is going to happen. And I think that just acknowledging that, it's the same reason why people often, they just don't make wills or... Or they just don't want to face that eventuality. But when you realize that you could possibly save seven lives by doing something that takes under two minutes, for me, that totally seems worth it. It is. It's amazing. And it's kind of like also like a sort of, it is signing up for immortality. 
because yes. the joy of it is that your organs will carry on living in somebody else. Yeah. So yeah. actually, you're alive together. I mean, slightly weird. Slightly <laughs> yeah, weird, bionic. I mean, the whole idea, I'm sorry, I'm taking that back. <laughs> that is a weird, and like, I think and a lot of people interpret it in different ways. So it's it can, it can be, seem quite a morbid sort of thing to do. And maybe people don't want to be a part of someone and carry on. But I think also the biggest thing is a lot of people change their minds very quickly when someone they know or love is affected. And then they start to, then they give it some thought. But when it's it's kind of this foreign thing that people need organs and you kind of don't really Think about it too much, and in the moment you put a face to the issue, yes, um, your human compassion gets involved, and you realise that actually you're not giving anything up because you're not around anymore, but you can help others. Mm-hmm. I think the ODF calls it um, the closest anyone can get to being a superhero, and mm-hmm. I always just thought that was the coolest quote. <laughs> but I also think the fact that we can actually come to your super hip. Party, uh, party. Yeah, I've diarized it. I have totally diarized it. So we it would be an incentive. <laughs> yeah, just so. What is the date of your twenty first? Well, um, my actual twenty first birthday, twenty eighth of October, twenty fifteen. Let's uh, all be parting then. Yes. So thank you so much. Thank you. I know this is like took a lot of your energy. Sure, Lovely, Jenna. <laughs> Nice to speak no, to you, Jenna. Thank you for helping us raise awareness on this issue. It's mm. incredible. And thank you to the lovely fawn. Thank you. They really are that. lovely. This is why I keep on reiterating <laughs> it. These girls are just like astoundingly beautiful. And I must say thank you very much. And we will be following the story closely. Thank you for having us. Go sign up, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, well, join Mabali and me next week. When we'll be together between two femmes, we hope. Together again. Two femmes, two ferns. (laughs) Bye.